In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about dealing with uncertainty. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Ambry. Join me as we discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. I think that's it. I was talking to my wife. We were listening to the wind whip up against our house and the rain coming down. Ian was literally in our backyard. And now we were just going to have to trust God would pull us through this. And we'd made adequate preparation. The first time I heard the name Ian in the last two weeks, my students and I were trying to figure out if this storm in the Atlantic was going to be a big deal or not. At that point, it was just a tropical storm, but it looked like it could become a hurricane. As a 20-year Floridian, you learn not to pay attention to every potential problem. Tampa almost always ranks as one of the most thunderstorm-prone cities in the United States, and you get used to these kind of warnings. So, It wasn't surprising when my wife and I were in Costco and there was a line extending from the back of the store to about halfway through clothing. It was people with big carts waiting for cases of water as far as I could see. They had a limit of five cases of water per person and Costco was undoubtedly going to sell out in minutes. I looked at Katie. Do we need to be in that line? I asked her. I doubt it, she said. And for the next few days around town, we saw stores cleaned out of milk, eggs, toilet paper. I had one former student who posted a picture of a grocery bread aisle without any bread, but with plenty of cheese balls. Between the two of us, I am the one who gets a little more antsy around these kinds of natural disasters, and Katie is almost always unfazed. It reminds me of getting on a flight and you can watch an experienced traveler simply ignore the safety demonstration. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us about five wise women and five unwise women preparing for the arrival of a groom. It's an odd story to us because we don't have this tradition, but the upshot of the story is some were prepared and some weren't. Some had brought enough stuff to wait for the unannounced but expected arrival, and some didn't bring enough and were called foolish. It's a great story for Christianity because it tells us we need to pay attention to what we have and what's going on around us. But in some ways, I worry we may plan too much and do too little. The opposite end of under-preparation looks a lot like anxiety. In Matthew 6, as part of Jesus' mountain message, he tells us not to be anxious because God is in control. Don't worry, but trust God to take care of things. Look at the birds or the flowers. They don't worry about anything, and yet they're fine. And there you have the two extremes of Christianity being underprepared or being over-prepared. In crisis events, it's easy to gravitate toward one extreme or the other. Katie and I probably represent both sides of this, but it depends on the topic to know if we were preparing enough, but not too much. As Christians, I don't think we talk too much about over-preparation. But in many ways, I think it is the problem many of us struggle with more. 
there's a sense in which we can over-prepare for almost anything. If you talk to my kids, one of the things you'll figure out is I am someone who is a strict believer in not packing too much for a trip. Putting six people in a minivan is enough of a headache, but when you have accompanying luggage with them, you recognize you have to become a minimalist when it comes to the content of the suitcases. One of the lessons my wife and I learned the hard way is the car is always a lot fuller coming from grandma's house than going there. When I was in graduate school, I lived for a month in London from the contents of a backpack and carry-on bag, and I have become a staunch supporter of not bringing more luggage than that ever since. Travel guru Rick Steves says, You can't travel heavy, happy, and cheap. Pick two. There's a mentality behind the overpacker I recognize immediately. When I pack, the only question I have in my mind is if I truly need it or not. If there's any doubt... It stays home. However, the overpacker asks a different and dangerous question. What if? What if you run out of clean clothes on your 10-day getaway? What if it snows on your Florida vacation? What if you get bitten by a venomous snake when you're hiking the trails? What if you get bored and you would like something to read? What if the hotel doesn't have that kind of hairdryer you like? What if there's a lion roaming in the street? I hope you recognize that last one from Proverbs. There's an endless supply of what-ifs and a more finite supply of what's likely. One of the problems I have with most overpackers is they often discount two important things from this assumption. First, they almost always believe they can't solve their problems when they're away from home. If you run out of clean clothes, laundromats are there for you or a friend's washer and dryer. If you forget your toothpaste, Walmart probably has your back. In other words, leaving your house doesn't mean that you've lost your ability to solve problems. The second is a deeper, more profound problem. They don't trust those around them. The overprepared are telling you they can't or won't trust others. In times of trouble. Let's be clear. God calls us to be prepared. But God also wants you to trust him. In Mark 6, Jesus sent out the apostles in pairs and told them not to take anything for the trip. No food, no money, no extra clothes, no hair dryers, no smartphones. You get the idea. Yes, They had miraculous power, and yes, this was an extreme case of trust. But what they had was enough. That's hard for me. Even as a minimalist packer, I can always think of things that could happen. But the message is clear. Trust me. As Floridians, part of our not over-preparing is trusting the authorities and the people around us. But it's also a track record of hurricanes being non-events. Five years ago, Hurricane Irma was a Category 5 hurricane, one of the largest in Florida's history. It had done some horrific damage to Puerto Rico, devastated St. Martin, destroyed parts of the Bahamas, 
And as it barreled for Florida, I was scared. I convinced Katie to get in the car, and we drove to Nashville. It was an uncomfortable car ride, and I was nervous for those we left behind. But when we eventually got back to our house, it was in one piece. A few branches were on the ground, but the power had stayed on, the internet was still working, and it looked exactly like we left it. I got some flack for that. I was reminded Tampa almost never gets hurricane damage. My wife was right again. But there's a very real sense where she might not have been. The danger was real, even if it didn't affect us. This time, for better or worse, I felt more confident. I mean, for us, the hard part about Hurricane Ian was waiting. Like Irma, we never lost power, internet, or water. We heard the winds blow, listened to the house creak a little, watched the radar on our phones, and then emerged with some yard debris. But again, we were essentially unscathed. However, as of this morning, 27 people have died in Florida from Ian, including four in Tampa. Even when you prepare, time and chance happen to all of us, as the writer Ecclesiastes says. And when you put that together with preparation, there are some conclusions you just have to draw. First, no matter how much you prepare, God is in control of what happens. I've been teaching Genesis at my congregation And one of the things that always surprises me is how the flood included not only the rain we know about, but also water from the fountains of the deep. In other words, the water came from both above and below. Specifically, the language of Genesis 7 says, The fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Paul picks up on this idea in Colossians when he says that God is before all things and in him all things hold together. It makes me think not so much that God caused the flood to happen, but God allowed the water to be uncontrolled and overwhelm the earth. God's presence keeps chaos at bay. He can keep our chaos at bay as well. He is also intimately aware of everything that's going on. Things don't escape his notice. He truly is in control. Second, because God is in control, you need to remember you're not. I'm not saying to drive blindfolded down the highway, but... That after you have prepared to the best of your ability, you have to remember this isn't in your hands. I struggle with this a lot because I feel like if I'm going to be putting in a lot of effort, shouldn't God reward by preparation? Sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. But I can always count on God to redeem whatever mess I'm in. If I trust him, He may give me what I want, or he may not. But he will make it good either way. Third, 
If God is in control, and if you aren't, the values you hold aren't as important as the ones God does. I think our values are often pretty predictable. We want to preserve life at almost all costs. We don't want to lose property. We want to minimize our costs, our pains, and our discomfort. But those are often not God's values. God's values are, likewise, predictable. God will be just, loving, and good. Because that's who God is. I'm reminded of watching my kids fight and bicker with one another over something I know isn't worth fighting over. Sometimes I'll let one kid win over the other because I see a bigger picture that they don't. I know if one kid wins while the other one loses, both will learn an important lesson in humility or in graciousness. I'm not nearly as worried about who ends up with the biggest piece of pie. I'm much more worried about which kid will end up with the better character instead of values. I think God does the same with us. Finally, God isn't only in control of the house. He also oversees the storm. And I need to stop freaking out. One of our local meteorologists in Tampa is named Dennis Phillips, and he developed seven rules for dealing with the hurricane. The seventh rule is the one everyone remembers, but all seven are worth knowing because they all have something that we can learn from them. Rule number one, storm track errors past three days can be huge. Don't get caught up in forecasts that far out. You'll go crazy. Rule number two, models flip back and forth all the time. Look for trends. Don't look at individual model runs. Rule number three. If you didn't prepare in June, which you probably didn't, do so now. Check your hurricane kit and guide and see what you and your family need. Rule number four. Don't freak out. Rule number five. Don't freak out, okay? We live in Florida. It goes with the territory. The odds of a storm affecting us directly is usually low. Rule number six. If things get bad, know that we will be there with you 24-7. You're going to hear a lot of information. It can get confusing. Stick with us. We won't steer you wrong. And finally, the famous rule number seven. Stop freaking out until I tell you to. We're fine. All of those rules directly speak to Christianity. Sometimes when we're a new Christian, we just don't understand enough to know how to read what we should be doing. A lot of that comes with maturity. And as we mature, preparation makes more difference. But finally, Dennis is reminding his audience that fear Desperation and panic rarely help you to do smart, thoughtful, and important things. That's a great application for people in the middle of a hurricane, but it's also awfully good advice for people in a spiritual crisis. God is in control. God loves you. There are some things you can prepare for and a huge number of things you can't. 
Get rid of things that aren't helpful and focus on the only one who does. Hurricane Ian wasn't fun, but it was faith building. Some people lost everything they owned, and we need to help them with that. Some people lost loved ones. But God was in control before Ian and after. So stop freaking out. God's got this. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for a God who literally saw us through the storm. Thank you to everybody who checked up on us. We're all fine. So until next week, let's be good and do good.